Mark chapter 7. If you're a guest with us uh, today, so glad that you're here. We will sing for a while, pray for a while, and then open the Bible. We've been going through the book of Mark since January. We're in Mark chapter 7. We're about to finish it, be in Mark chapter 8 next, uh, the Sunday after next. And it's probably going to take us two years to go through. We typically will read a passage, and you'll get the feel today. A lot of emphasis will be on what does the Bible say. So you pay very close attention as we read Mark chapter 7, verse 31 through 37. The grass withers and the flowers fade with the word of our God. Let's begin verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a man who was deaf. He had a speech impediment. They begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he said to him, Ephatha, which is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them to tell no one, but, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were all astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you'll help us. Holy Spirit of God, help us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our triune God, Help me preach. Help people hear. Help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> when you open your Bible to the New Testament, you start reading in four books that are very much alike. Four books that tell the same story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the Gospels. John is different than the others. John is written in a poetic style. It's a transcendental style. John writes to show the divinity of Jesus. I'll always encourage a new believer, if you're new in the faith, go and start with the Gospel of John. But the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three are more down to earth. In fact, they are very similar to one another. We call them synoptics. They are so close that they are almost synonyms. They tell the same story oftentimes in the same way. You can read one story in Mark and find it also over in Matthew. But from time to time, each one of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, from time to time, the author will turn aside and tell us a story that none of the others mention. This story I read to you in Mark is unique to Mark. 
Mark is the short, shortest gospel writer, and even in his economy of language, as he has cut away a whole bunch of stuff, he decided to say this one story that nobody else tells. Now, when that happens, when you run up on a story that you don't see anywhere else, we need to pay extra close attention. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was telling us something that is so special, something that is so unique, something that is so spectacular that although the others didn't mention it, he had to tell it. He had to tell it so that so that you would be strengthened, so that you would be helped, so that you would be healed, so that you would be made whole. This story is here for you, so that you will never in fact, this is how I'll say the theme of the sermon. Never underestimate the saving love of Jesus. Never underestimate the saving love of Jesus. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go back to the story. Let's do what we've been doing for the last few weeks. Let's go back to the story, and I want to just walk through it. I've been looking at it and studying it, turning it upside down and backwards, and I want to just walk through like a tour guide, and just point out some things that I think you will find interesting, just some, some things of interest, and then we'll come back and put it together in an outline form, call it a sermon, and make some application. Join me there. Join me there in verse 31. Then he returned, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Decapolis. If you were to put these points on a map, it's interesting that Mark gives us all the points along the way, if you were to put these points on a map, it would look as if he's taken the long way home. Like he had pulled up Google Maps and told it, look, get away from, I don't want to go through toll roads, I don't want to go through highways, I don't want to go through the interstates. So he took a three-hour trip and made it a 12-hour trip. Took the long way home is what Mark is telling us here. We don't know why he did that. I'd like to know what happened. It was 120 miles that he traveled. Who knows how many days it took? And he's going to a place called Decapolis. Deca is 10. Polis is cities, the 10 cities. We saw that over in Mark chapter 5. Here's where Alexander the Great colonized uh, with the 10 Greek cities. It didn't work out exactly. It's mostly Gentiles there. There are some Jews there. Jesus is passing through the Decapolis in verse 31. Verse 32, they, they brought him someone. They brought him a man who was deaf, so he can't hear, and he had a speech impediment. That's the only time you ever see that phrase, speech impediment. Can't hear. Now, since he can't hear, something traumatic had happened. He at one time knew how to talk, but with his hearing gone, his, his speech started to atrophy. He can't say the words like he used to, and so now he has a speech impediment. They bring this man to Jesus, and they start begging is the word. In verse 32, they're begging. It's 
parakaleo, they called out, as kaleo, they called out and para-intensifies, they called out intensely to Jesus, put your hand on him. It's interesting to me, verse 32, that they didn't ask Jesus to heal him, they just asked to put your hand. We can assume that they knew that that would bring the healing. Verse 32 leads to verse 33. Look what Jesus does. Verse 33, 34, and 35, you have uh, these six steps. We'll talk about it in the sermon. Six things Jesus does to heal this man, which is odd because with the Syrophoenician woman, the last story we covered last week, with that woman, all Jesus did was think it. Here, there's this elaborate step through that Jesus does to heal this man. Jesus meets us. Everybody different. The problems we have are different. You'll find it uh, there in verse 33. He took him aside from the crowd privately. He took him aside from the crowd privately. This is not an Instagram moment. This is not something to put on social media for all your friends to see the great works that you're doing. This is Jesus taking a man. He's not making a spectacle out of him. He's not saying, look, we're doing missions here. He pulls this man aside, and it's the man and Jesus face to face. Pulls him aside privately, verse 33. And he put his fingers in his ears. And he put his fingers in his ears to let the man know, since they can't communicate, he lets him know right off the bat, he touches him, but not only that, he touches where the problem is, lets him know, this is what I'm going to fix, it's your ears. And not only that, in verse 32, 33, he, uh, he, he spat on his hand and put that on the man's tongue. Now, I got real distracted with that. Honestly, I got, I mean, look, do they know what COVID did to this place? I got real distracted with that. So I started studying it, and people had all kinds of, I'm reading all these commentaries guys were coming up with, that uh, that was a way of doing a magic spell. Sometimes when I'm reading commentaries, I'm like, these guys, they just make stuff up. So I, and we don't know why Jesus did that, except that he's touching where the problem is. So he's told the man, it's your ears, it's your mouth. I know that's what it is. That's what is going to be fixed. The next step is he looks up to heaven, just like he did in John 17 with the high priestly prayer. Jesus offers a prayer. It's to God. Here's a reminder that healing comes from God. It is God alone that Jesus, the Son, glorifies God the Father in what he does. The man would know that. I'll spend a little time with it in a moment, but you keep looking at it. After he looks to heaven, he offers up a sigh. This is part of what makes us believe that Mark uh, is getting it from Peter. Peter was an eyewitness. Remember, Peter was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter tells us about the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and to get this little detail, this little detail, I think it's one of the most important details in the story. Jesus sighs. And after he sighs, he speaks Aramaic. There in the text, he said, Ephatha, Ephatha. It's hard to say, Ephatha. It's an Aramaic word. Mark knows that those that are getting this for the first time, they are in Rome. They are not Jewish. They would not understand Aramaic. And so what does Mark do? He gives the explanation, which means to be open, which is interesting to me that Jesus is commanding to, to understand and to fulfill the command. I got to know what the command is. To know what it is, I got to hear it. That man is deaf. Jesus speaks and he creates what he commands. This is, rem this is reminiscent of God in Genesis chapter 1 saying, let there be light and just a spoken word and there's light. 
Jesus speaks, and the text says that his, his ears are open and his tongue, it's interesting, so specific, his tongue is unloosed. It, his tongue is, is unfettered. The shackles fall off. Jesus knows there's going to be a reaction. So in verse 36, before they ever react, he says to them, now don't tell everybody about this because they, what happened is they want to make him king. They want him to be a healer. And, and this is nothing more than the miracles are there, not to focus on the miracle. The miracles are there to show he has authority to do what he's going to do. So, so don't tell everybody this, but the more he said that, verse 36, the more they go and tell it around, Verse 37 tells us they are astonished. In fact, the way, it's, uh, the way it's said is they are astonished beyond measure. It's the only time that phrase is used in the whole New Testament. They are astonished. If this is astonishment, it is, it is, they, they are so blown away. This is what they say. Verse 37. They say he has done all things well. And he even, an important word. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So there's the story. It drops into your heart. Let's back up and take a run at it and pick up some things along the way and build a case. Here's the first thing I want you to never underestimate. Number one, never underestimate the power of your testimony. Never underestimate the power of how God has worked in your heart, how it's changed you, and you simply telling what God has done. I mean, let, me tell, let me show you where I get this. Join me there in verse 31. Verse 31, we talked about the securitous route, and at the end, at the end of verse 31, look where he ends up, in the town or the region called Decapolis. Deca, ten, polis, cities, the ten-city region. Now, when I read that, like, I, I've heard that before. Where did we hear of the Decapolis before? Well, back in chapter 5, you remember that Jesus was there in the Gentile region in the Decapolis. That's where in the Gerasene region, he came upon the man that was filled not with one demon, but with a legion of demons. Remember that? Legion. Man, when I was playing football, I had a, in college, I had a coach that was so mean, I used to call him legion because he didn't have one demon, he had many. Many demons in legion. And Jesus cast the, cast the demons out of that man, and there's so many, they went into a herd of pigs. Those pigs ran down, uh, they, ran, they ran all the way down the hill into the Sea of Galilee. After church uh, this morning, after 8 o'clock, a woman said, do you think that was the first case of deviled ham? That's what she said to me. That's, how, that's what I get greedy with oftentimes on Sunday mornings. So anyway, the, the, the pigs run down and into the sea, of, into the sea of Galilee, and the people in that region, they beg Jesus to leave. Okay, this is Decapolis. They beg him to leave. The man that's healed, that has the demons cast out of him, he's begging Jesus, please let me go with you. You can, you can find this in chapter 5. And Jesus says, you can't go with me, but here's what he tells them. You stay in the Decapolis. Mark chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, this is what Jesus says. Go home to your friends. You tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you, 
And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled so much so that in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus comes back there, everybody had heard about him. And they're bringing their friend to Jesus. They know they can't fix their friend, but they heard Jesus could. Look, why do we do what we do? Because we can't fix people, but we know who can. We, look, I, we cannot fix anybody that has that struggled with any kind of addiction. We can't fix. Why do we call it exchange? We know who can. This man had told his story over and over again. When Jesus came, he didn't need an introduction. They knew what he could do. God has put you at the school you're at, at the school you're at, to give a testimony Go and tell what Jesus has done for you and how he showed mercy on you. You go to the gym you go to if you work out and he's put you there because people are wearing ear pods. Go ahead and start the conversation and tell them how good God. Why do you go to the car wash? Tell them. Why are you on the golf course? Tell them that there is hope in Jesus. Get your friends to Jesus. Never, ever, never, ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of of your testimony. Let me give you a second thing to consider. Number two, never underestimate, never underestimate the power of your ministry. The power of your ministry. Here's what I, here's what I mean. Verse 32, join me there. Look at one word, verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf. They. Don't you want to know who the they is, and we put a lot of attention on the deaf mute, put a lot of attention there, but that deaf mute had to have somebody get him to Jesus. Here we have a picture of those going the extra mile, friends bringing him to Jesus. They knew they couldn't do anything for him. Jesus could do something for him. That this man, if he got to Jesus, he couldn't speak, so they spoke for him. Let me, show, let me show you something else in the passage. Not just, uh, not just your ministry. You need to never underestimate the power of effective prayer. Of effective prayer. Let me show you the prayer in verse 32. You see it there, don't you? You probably already saw it. They brought to him a man who was deaf. He had a speech impediment. And they begged Jesus to lay your hands on him. Deaf. You see those two words, deaf and uh, speech impediment. That word speech impediment means he had trouble talking. It's the only time in the New Testament you see that description. You see deaf mute a good bit. Only time do you see that description. And this man, not only could he not hear, but his hearing had been gone long enough that now he can't ask for help. And so the friends, what, they're, what are they doing? They are begging Jesus, the, the, the phrase, Begging, it comes from uh, kaleo, is to call out parakaleo, the intensified calling out, asking Jesus over and over again. Now look, brothers and sisters, you need to find a person that is deaf to the gospel and mute to saying Jesus is Lord. 
And you need to write that person's name down and that person becomes the one you are praying for. You are asking God to enter. You're asking God to intervene. You're asking God to save. You ought to take that name and put it in the front of your Bible or the back of your Bible. If you have a prayer journal, write, <clears throat> write her name down and ask, beg God. Look, some of you have already been doing that. Don't stop doing that. Don't stop praying for a prodigal. Don't stop praying for the person you think has denied everything. You keep lifting them. To, this text says they begged Jesus. And if you don't know what to ask God to do, ask what they ask. Put your hand on it. You, you, you ought to come forward today and ask God. When we, when we close this out in a few minutes, just come and, Lord, please, Never underestimate the power of your prayer. That's enough talk about the people. Let's go to Jesus. Here's the fourth one, number four. <clears throat> Never underestimate the person, the person of Jesus. Okay, so you may have already seen it. I don't know, I got kind of worked up looking at it. Let me just show you something in verse 32. I love the Bible, how it's all tied together. Verse 32 <clears throat> There's a description of this man. I want you to pay very close attention to the description of the man. And I want to tie it to something else. Verse 32. They brought to him a man who was deaf, so we've heard that a lot, and had a speech impediment. Speech. Lay los. Lalos, that's speech. To lalos is speech. Mogi is how you would say it, is difficult. Put the two together, difficult speech. Mark uses an odd word that you don't find anywhere else in the entire New Testament. But you do find it somewhere in the Greek Old Testament, what is known as the Septuagint. And Mark knew that. And Mark reaches back into a prophecy Isaiah chapter 35, you probably, if you have a good Bible, a study Bible, it's at the very bottom of your page, I'm sure. Isaiah, 30, Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, when Isaiah is making a prophecy of the one that is coming who would be the promised one, Messiah, this is what Isaiah said. Then, when, when the Messiah comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue, slow down, of the mute, the, that's the same word, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Isaiah looks forward to a day when the Messiah will come and help those that have a speech impediment and make it so they can be healed. And now Mark is... Mark is telling us that day is here. Mark is telling us that the promised one is coming, that Jesus Christ will come not only, to, not only to heal the deaf and the mute, he will come to save the lost and the damned. That Jesus will come as the substitute. That all of creation, all of creation stand in the grip of death. Not just us, not just people, all of us. 
Everything is devolving and decaying since the fall of mankind. And the promised one comes to shine light, not just to show us the way, not just to be an example, not just to help you be better. Jesus comes to reverse the curse of sin. How does he do it? He comes as the perfect one, lives perfectly in a way we can't. He comes to take the wrath of God. God is a just judge and will punish sin because it's a crime against him. Jesus comes to take all of that punishment that you and I deserve. That's what he does on the cross. He is killed. The wages of sin is death. He is killed. And he's killed in our place. God raises him from the dead three days later, which is a Sunday. That's why we go to church on Sunday. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And the promise of the gospel, if you will but believe that, turn from your sin, believe that, you'll be saved. Never underestimate the person, who he is, the Savior of the world. Let me give you something else about Jesus in this passage. Number five, never underestimate the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Verse 33 and 34 and 35 that's where the miracle takes place. I don't know why it's strung out like this, why there are stages, because with the Syrophoenician woman, he just thought it. But verse 33 and 34 and 35, let's go through the six steps and point out just a couple of things. Join me there in the passage. And taking him aside from the crowd privately. Taking him aside from the crowd privately. That this would become a personal time. That if Jesus Christ is Lord, he is your Lord, and it is an, a personal change. Jesus brought this man away so that they could be face-to-face -face and the focus could be on Jesus and Jesus' focus could be on the man. The text says that the second step is he took his fingers and put it in the ears of the man. Why? Because that's where the problem was. Jesus goes right to the issue. The issue is he can't hear. Not only can he not hear, it has affected his speech so he can't talk. So Jesus touches that. He's communicating with this man in a way he could understand. He comes to meet this man where he is, but he's not going to leave him there. And the text says that once he's done that, he's sure that the man understands that what's going to happen is coming from God. This is coming from God. He looks, that's what it says, he looks up like he did in John 17 gives glory to the Father. What Christ does in you is to give glory to the Father. Why did he purchase you? He purchased you for glory to the Father. Why are you saved? To glorify the Father. That's what's going to happen here in this man, to glorify the Father. So Jesus looks up. I think the most personal thing in this passage is, is Jesus sighing. It's one of those things that only an eyewitness could give you. It's a detail that you don't get anywhere else. And, 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 and Peter gave it, to, gave it to Mark, and Mark tells us that Jesus sighs. You won't see him doing that very much. We only see him doing that when he looks at people who have been under the effect of, of the fall, what sin has done. You see Jesus standing outside Lazarus' grave, and he looks around at the people crying. And the text says he he himself wept. You follow him into the Garden of Gethsemane and you see there the weight of sin that he's going to bear, the wrath of God that he is drinking. And you, you hear it. 
Paul picks up the language, and Paul says sometimes we have concerns and, and the depth of our prayers so much so that all we can do is sigh. It's the word groan. It's a real personal picture of the love of Jesus for his people, the love of Jesus for this man. When he sees the effects of, of, of sin, the, the effects of the fall, and, and he just sighs. But he doesn't sigh as somebody without hope. He knows what he's going to do. He just sees the effect. And as he sees it, he gives a command. The text says, if fatha, it's, it's, a, it's an Aramaic word. It's, the command is to, to looking up into heaven, he said, if fatha, be open. It's amazing to me that it's like creation that Jesus has spoken these words into ears that cannot hear and the very words he spoke cause the ear to hear. That God creates what he commands. That he spoke it and it happened and the, and the text uses very clear language. Mark says that, that they're, they're, the ears are open, that the tongue is, which was locked down is unshackled is made free. Now, can't we take that? And even if we have to allegorize it just a bit, we are reminded that the spoken word of Jesus, that Jesus sets us absolutely free. That when you, when you hear the gospel, when your ears are open to hear it, and your tongue is let loose to say, Jesus Christ is Lord, you have been set free. Never underestimate the power of Jesus. Let me give you one last one. We'll <clears throat> call it a day. Number, number six. Never underestimate the perfection of Jesus. Don't you love verse 36 and 37? Mark gives us some detail of what's going on in the crowd. You've been in this situation before. Verse 36, before they even react, Jesus knows what they're going to do. So verse 36, Jesus charged them, don't tell anybody. But the more he said it, it's so good, they can't help. But the more he charged them, the more they talked about it. Verse 37 says um, that one of the things that they're, they're saying, I mean, they're astonished beyond measure. They, they can't believe what they're seeing. And, and what they start saying is very similar to what Moses tells us about God and creation, that God created, he stepped back and he saw that it was good. The text seems to echo Genesis chapter 1. And here's what they say. He has done everything well. Here is Mark giving us a picture of the new creation. That creation, and we've fallen into sin, now Jesus comes as the new creator. You know what Paul says? That if anyone is in Christ... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Ray Ortland says that's not the most important thing in this passage. Ray Ortland says that the most important word in this passage is the word even. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Even. He has done all things well. He saves everyone, even. Even the one steeped in homosexuality. Even the man riddled through with hatred. Even 
the one that has walked away from the faith in denial, even the one drowning in pornography, even, even you. You need to come to the saving, healing, forgiving, restoring Jesus. Never underestimate the saving love of Jesus. With your heads bowed this morning, I'd like you to join me in a word of prayer. With your heads bowed into a word of prayer and commitment. We're going to sing another song. And as we do, there's some of you here that you couldn't help but think of someone. You want to just bring them, just symbolically bring them. Just come and pray. Just come and lift that person to the Lord this morning. It's a good time to do it. In the Lord's house, on the Lord's day, with the Lord's people, now's a good time to do that. Maybe what resonated into your heart this morning was that this is for the first time you, you feel like your ears have been opened and you've heard the gospel and you want Jesus Christ to save you. When we sing this morning, I'll invite you to come forward. Our pastors are down on the front pew here. We can talk further, take our time and explain the gospel, not rush you into anything so that you might fully understand the saving power that God gives us in Jesus Christ. God has spoken to your heart this morning. You need to be saved. You come forward. If you want to come and pray for someone, you come and do that as well. Father, thank you for the good grace you give us in Jesus. We thank you for the power and the person of Jesus. We thank you for how you've saved us. We pray you would do it again. We pray you would save people. We pray that ears would be opened. We pray that tongues would be unshackled so that they might say, Jesus Christ is Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?